0: Welcome to the Jubilee Stratford podcast, where you can listen back on our weekly sermons, special guest speakers, and more. To find other resources and information about who we are, visit www.jubileestratford.com. If you like what you've heard here on this podcast today, don't forget to subscribe. Resting upon, you know, the sun would come up and the mist would just rest upon the horizon. It was so beautiful. it just made that scripture verse come to life, you know this this the beauty and the majesty, the sovereignty of Lord, you know in a place of rest of where he 's resting, his glory's resting. kind of reminds me of you know Adam and Eve when they're in the garden and, and they're in his presence and uh, they're with him, and the lord's in a place of rest and just drinking in from his stillness in his calmness and um, I mean, there's lots of other scriptures that talk about lots of activities, but rest is one of them. And uh, let's, just, let's just take a big drink this morning. Lord, we just, we just, our spirit man, we just drink of your rest and your mercy and, our, and your grace for us today. Lord, we thank you that it says each morning it's renewed. And so, Lord, we thank you that the, the activities of yesterday, the things that have gone on in the past... They're behind us, and your mercy is here for us in this moment. So we drink of you. We delight ourselves in you, in your beauty, in your majesty, in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. So we're up for another day. Uh, I believe that some of us have purchased lunch at noon. I'm not sure if you can still get in on that or not. Elizabeth would have those details. I can find out. Also, this evening is open to the public, if there's people that you know that you want to invite. that um, I just think Mark's teaching last night just absolutely, I knew he was good, but I didn't realize he was like beyond, I mean, it was amazing. So, so thank you, Mark, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to today, and, uh, and I'm not going to take any more time. Come on up, Mark, and let's just jump in. Let's raise our hands towards Mark. Father, we bless Mark. Father, we thank you for bringing him to Stratford, And we open up the doors of the city and say, you're welcome here. And, Lord, Holy Spirit, we open up the doors to you and say, you're welcome here. And, Lord, we just pray for the atmosphere over the city and over our church. Lord, we know that this weekend is strategic for what you want to do in us and for our community. And so, Holy Spirit, just give us a, a sensitivity to what you're doing in this place, and we pray that you would accomplish all that 's in your heart in jesus name amen
1: amen amen, thank you so much. It really is a joy to be here. Um, I was mentioning to somebody i don 't know if it was last night, but um, while I began doing an extensive amount of traveling within Canada for the last ten years or so i 've been largely out of Canada um, around the world in different places and uh, it really is a delight to be able to speak without an interpreter. <laughs> and uh, just just to be able to... You know, there's certain, certain colloquialisms, there's certain, uh, you know, illustrations. You know you can safely give here. Um, I was, I was giving, uh, doing a school in Guatemala and uh, I began giving this technical illustration. And so I asked, you know, how many people here have been on the Internet? And... Um, about 10% of the room had been on the Internet. So I don't know if they misunderstood the question, but I was thinking, okay, don't use that illustration. You know, and I think it's something we could safely talk about here and there would be a, a reasonable understanding within the room about what we're talking about when we're talking about accessing websites and whatnot. But. Anyway, so it's so great on so many levels. Plus, of course, I love my country. I love Canada. I love the destiny of Canada. I believe what God is preparing for us is unique and wonderful. And, um, and I'm glad to be a part of that. Really glad to be a part of that. Hold on, let me just see if my notes got transferred here. I was making some notes on my phone. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for the cloud yeah exactly so um yeah you know i am i am I am so excited about this because not only is there coming a release of the abilities of the Holy Spirit, but a, a comprehension within the church of what this is about that we're doing, you know, and how to purposely fully enter it and participate in it. you know one of the exciting transitions I've seen in in my life. Is, is there is um, this is exciting new engagement in God's work from the standpoint that I always had a heart to be in ministry. I always had a heart for the kingdom of God. But, you know, laced throughout my journey are elements of self-preservation. You know, how do I, how do I make it through life? <laughs> you know, and so there, you know, there's a two-pronged priority, making it through life and of course doing the will of my father but i can honestly say that that i've come into a place at 57 years old you know somewhere along the line where where you know when it said about jesus at 12 i must be about my father's business i feel like at 57 i can safely say that and feel reasonably convinced that i'm being sincere and uh and so it's it's kind of an exciting thing but there in keeping with that I believe there's a template that God is unfolding for His people, because kind of like any company that's father and sons, the father wants to pass on the work of the company to his sons. And, you know, and by that we mean, you know, it's it's non-gender. It's it's the children, the the sons and the daughters. That there's an inheritance to be gained, and you you can't walk in an inheritance if you don't understand the goals of the inheritance, what the what the, uh, you know, the priorities are really about or how it works, you know, and that's why when, you know, uh, little junior comes to work the first day, he doesn't start in the head office, he starts, you know, in the wash bay or, you know, in the mail room or, you know, and he, he has to work his way through the company so that you understand what are we doing here, you know, and if you, I remember the, excuse me a second, I'll open up my, my third coffee of the day. Um, I had this, I give this illustration that when I first got saved, the first six months were just a euphoric rise. And it was like, it was like this is an amazing thing. And God was giving me this beautiful, beautiful overview of the kingdom. And, and, you know, and I was thinking, okay, where's my place? Where's my place? Where's my place? And so, you know, we went to the mayor and I thought, hey, I don't want to be here. You know, we went seemed to go past the mailroom into, you know, the some other delivery service or some of, of the of the work of the kingdom. And I thought, oh, this, this could be better. And then we went to, the, you know, junior management. And I thought, oh, this is even better. Look at the offices on this, you know, corner office on this. You know, and then we go, start to go to the executive levels of, I think, this is great. I'm going to be an executive on day one. This is amazing. And it's kind of like at the end of that six months, the Lord said, okay, the tour is over. Back to the mailroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh you know, it was like oh you know and so so there's this real intentionality on the part of the holy spirit to equip a people to to do the work to manifest the kingdom and he's not hiding from us the secrets in the sense that he doesn't want us to know them but he does what he told us we should do don't cast your pearl before swine in other words, you're not going to talk quantum physics to kids that can't do arithmetic, right? You know, arithmetic before quantum physics, right? So there's an order of the things that he gives. Why does he not, does, does he not think you are worthy of the quantum physics of the kingdom revelation? No, that's not the idea. It's the idea, is yet, you can't understand it. You don't have the comprehension of it. In the same way, you wouldn't give a loaded gun to a two-year-old or you wouldn't give a priceless piece of fragile crystal to a newborn or, you know, or a toddler, you're not going to take the most precious gems of the kingdom and put them before those who don't comprehend their value because they'll be, down, they'll be trodden underfoot like swine, not because we are swine, but we don't have the comprehension. Does that make sense? So there's this sense where God is eager like he said, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's this eagerness on the heart of God. He's looking for those to whom to dispense His heart, to dispense knowledge and mystery of the kingdom, uh, which is a great thing. You know, God is not a withholding God, but He is a wise God, right? You know, as as I was uh, coming up to this, I was thinking this morning, um, as we were worshiping here about the accusation of Lucifer against God. And the accusation is that God is a withholder, that that God is a glory seeker, that God is is, um, insecure, and that's why his need for worship, that's why everything funnels through him. And Satan literally resents the authority structure of the kingdom of God, where God funnels things beginning with him and down. But it's appropriate because he is... That he is. I mean, he is the author and finisher. He is the light. He he defines love. He defi- you know everything. And so when God when God dispenses the kingdom of God through him, it's not an, an authoritarian uh, sort of um, what do you call it uh, beggarly way, or, or he's not a miser. He's not he's not you know. Are you worthy? Do you you know. Okay, I'll throw you a little bone. It's not like that. He's actually quite happy to release the reins of authority to the kingdom. But he does require a certain competence, alignment with his heart. Does that that make sense? And, And so Lucifer, in his vile, ambitious hatred of God, has twisted the idea of God who withholds into this thing that is more like him. And so... Um, I, I just, I just feel like this morning, even as I was pressing in, there's this knowledge of the Father and of the heart of the Father around this statement, and I don't think I've ever felt it quite this way before. When Jesus said, "Little children, fear not; it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." And so, Father, this morning we want to, we want to bask in the power of that, in the breath of the love. And the safety that it is your every intention of your heart to give us as much as we can possibly steward. That you are not in any way a withholder. But Lord, you will not give us more than we can handle. So Father, we begin this day by saying, Lord, expand our capacity to steward the things you want to give us so that you can give us more. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of rolling around in my heart there. But uh, I want to I want to touch a couple of things here as we're on our way, I'm trying to decide what what avenues to get in here to today. But last night we were finishing the evening by talking about Jeremiah two thirteen. It's the idea that that well, I'll just read the scripture. Again, for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me: the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water and so um, you know that that uh, that uh, that imagery of water, living water, the fountain of living water, is not a, just an old testament imagery it 's clearly a new a new Testament imagery, right Have you heard about the river at all here yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, the fountain of living water. I mean, you know, back when I was uh, just born again in in, uh, 1981, I think it was. Yeah, 81. You know, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lane to walk and the blind to see. Did you guys sing that one? Opens prison doors. You know, this is not a new concept, right? The river of life. You know, but we are moving from one dispensation of it into the next. You know, from one level of the breadth, you know Ezekiel's vision. You know, the, the the water was so deep coming out of the portal, the eastern gate, and so wide, and they got wider and deeper as it went. Well, this thing is getting wider and deeper as it goes, and um, and so, but it's by no means new to us, and it was right there back in Jeremiah, many, 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 many moons ago, and the same problem existed back then that exists now, which is this, is that we tend to lean towards our own strength and away from His provision. This is the classic dilemma that we have. And it's not fixed because you get born again. It, it, uh, it is, it, there's an ability to enter into it on a quantum level, higher, but it's not fixed. The tendency to lean on our own strength continues with us to this day. And so I was highlighting some of that journey in my own life. But I want to just fixate again for a second on what the heart is. And because we don't have a glossary of terms with the Bible. And so when the Bible talks about spirit and soul and, and heart, and, and, and we don't get a glossary of specific scientifically defined terms. Nor did God see fit to have us you know, get that. You know, I mean, he could have given us that. I mean, Jesus could have given a very clear breakdown of the, you know, the, the anatomy of the heart and how it relates to the will and the spirit and etc. But he didn't. He left it a little bit vague. But these are some of the things we, we know. It says in Proverbs 3, uh, 4, 23, it says, Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. And New Testament-wise, we look at James, and the similar thing is there. It says, it says, you know, be careful what you speak, right? You know, be careful what's released. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so he warns them against pride. He warns them against murmuring. He warns them against against things that would come out of the tongue. He says, your tongue is a rudder, and it sets the course of your life. And so, uh, and then Jesus said, out of the buttons of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so there's this... There's an important connection in terms of what's coming through your heart. And so he's saying, listen, uh, this, the, the, the heart is a valve. And this is what the definition, this is my most current definition. The heart is a valve through which life was meant to flow. Okay. But life doesn't always flow. Sometimes death flows. So life and death are in the power of the tongue, it says in Proverbs, Right? But uh, you can release either. And out of the abundance of the heart, the, the tongue speaks. So in other words, the, the heart has the capacity to release life and death. All right? The heart has the capacity to release that which comes from the river of life, from the fountain of life, or from the cisterns of man's own making. And so um, the, the paradigm that we're operating under Is this cursed is the man that leans on man and makes flesh his strength. So so he's saying, listen, this is bad, this is good. (laughs) Right? Very simple. Life is good, death is bad. And he's basically saying, anything that begins with you is death. Because I'm life. That which is born of me overcomes the world because I'm life. Anything that's born with you just kind of fits in stride with everything that's already out there. And so, as the kingdom, we're trying, to, we're trying to make our hearts a channel for releasing life. But the, the, the beginning challenge is, well, which is which? How do we know which one we're releasing? You know, what's the criteria? How do you, know know, and that is the journey we're on right now. So, um, let me just say a couple of things about the heart. Um, our hearts are not all the same, all right? Your capacity, the largeness, the smallness. You know, the Grinch, right? You know, small heart. Not theologically perfect analogy, but but uh, you know, there's a, a, a mild you know comparison there that's valid. Anyway, so uh, the the size of your heart, the capacity of your heart. So some people have a greater capacity. Think about it this way: um, if you've got a, have you anybody ever got houseplants? You know. And you got that little thing you connect to the, the the kitchen sink it's about a quarter inch tube and you go anybody have one of those? Do your indoor plants with that or you take a bucket, Oh, you've seen one of those anyway it doesn't produce a lot of water, but it's safe indoors so that you know not a lot of water is going to go through this quarter inch or eight inch, inch little tube, but then you go out to your backyard and you might have a half inch hose you know and You know, with the decent water pressure from the sea, you know, get a fair amount of water. But you go to a three-quarter-inch hose, it's even better. Go to a one-inch hose, and it's even better. You go to a four-inch, you know, fireman's hose and hook it up to a fire hydrant, you can put out a lot of pressure, a lot of volume. So the capacity of each channel, of each heart, is different from the one to the other. Okay? And so God can expand, or you can limit... The the size of what you have, but I've discovered this. Is, I don't see this in the Bible anywhere specifically. So you know, take it as from a wise man, but not necessarily you know, uh, scripture. But I believe that there's something about generational faith that causes us to inherit greater capacity of heart. Um, And so that's why you can see somebody who's a third, fourth generation believer. You know, Jesus talked, I mean, Paul talked to Timothy about having a capacity that was in his mother and his grandmother. And so, so it is the largeness of the heart. Let me just camp on this just for a second. Have you ever noticed that some people are, you know, they're just super, super abrasive? You know, some people are just super, super abrasive. They get saved and they're like just, they're just hard. They're difficult. And I've watched this for a long time. I've watched people like this for a long time. And what I began to notice is oftentimes their behavior is not worse than the behavior of others. Yet they somehow get a level of, you know, vehemence toward them in response to what things they say and things they do that are much greater than others. And the Lord began to speak to me about this, and it says, Because there's fatness of soul in this person, largeness of heart. And so, what they have is a greater capacity. So, even though their words, they're saying the exact same words as that person, there's more weight to their words. And because they're connected to death, there's more death coming through them than coming through this person. And so this person doesn't get the condemnation that they do. But he said to me this, Mark, he said, Listen, the ones with the most capacity for death are the ones with the most capacity for life. And so that those that have largeness of soul, largeness of heart, great capacity, are the ones that the enemy's trying more than any others to hunt down, to to attack, to destroy. And that's why it says in the Proverbs and Uh, And Wilkerson shared on this, David Wilkerson years ago, it says that the adulteress seeks the precious life. In other words, his whole sermon was based on the premise that Satan has an eye for those who have a great capacity of heart and soul. And so they, they have largeness of soul. So he tries to destroy them because he knows they are the greatest threat to them. So he says, mostly your drug addicts, your alcoholics, your prostitutes, your, the ones that are targeted by the enemy, it's not because they're worse. It's because their capacity is possibly much greater. Does that, does that make sense? So, so um, when you, uh, just a little more on this. Uh, this is one of my little pet teachings I love to teach on this. But, you know, when, it, when Israel was going through the wilderness and they asked for manna, I mean, asked for quail, remember that? And it says that God was angry at them, but he gave them, sent them quail anyway, sent them meat. But he said, it says he also sent, what else did he send? Leanness of soul. Leanness of soul. What is leanness of soul? Well, I'll tell you what, it's not fatness. If your capacity for impact is determined by the largeness of your heart, and you're getting smallness of heart... Largeness of soul or smallness of soul, Small, you know, if, you get, if your ultimate possible impact is lowered, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing that's a bad thing. So well, why, why would God do that? Why would God send leanness of soul? You know we, oftentimes we don 't understand the way God works. God works because of our choices, and basically, when they chose to have meat. They chose leanness of soul. Here's the way it works. If you have a, if you have a, um, I'm not a baker. I don't understand baking that much, but I understand that yeast works on lumps of bread. And, and it has, you know, it, you know it, it, it starts in one spot, but it, it you know, it, it touches the whole thing, right? How does it, what's the word for that? I can't remember.
0: But it, it, it
1: affects the whole ball of there's a, um, a parable that Jesus gave about a little bit of leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. That's it. You know, so there, there's this effect of stuff. It starts in a little part, but affects everything. So if you're actually trying to leaven a lump of, of dough, a bigger lump is going to take longer to affect, right? A smaller lump will get done faster. You know, bake a big cookie. Big cookie's going to take longer to cook than a small cookie. Makes sense, right? Well, God is saying, listen, you're not just walking through the wilderness here, Israel. You're being tempered and prepared for kingdom purposes that you don't even understand. And I've got you in the wilderness, not as punishment, but I'm doing something in you. I'm limiting you to manna because I'm doing something for destiny's sake. So when you opted out of the training... By saying we want meat, we want to con- we want something to satiate our desires, our physical lusts, basically you 're saying, God, cut the training short he said i 'll cut the training short, but the- you 're going to have to reduce the size of the lump so i 'm reducing your capacity, so I say that because of this sometimes sometimes when we 're in the training of God. When we're in seasons, we're in wildernesses, we're in trials, and things are hard. And, you know, you feel like you're dying on every side. And people are against you. Or, you know, you're, you're exploding inside. And you're struggling with, with, you know, I don't know what. And circumstances are bringing to light all these things. And, and it's like, it's hard, God, it's hard. Let me out, let me out, let me out. What if God said, okay, I'll let you out? What is the consequence of letting you out of that process? Laidness of soul. So, embrace the hardship. Embrace the seasons you're in. Don't, don't lose half of your destiny because you, needed, you wanted to get let out early. Does that, does that make sense? Like, ask God, give me grace to stay in. My mom told me this. I didn't really understand. But she used to pray this. She said, Lord, do what you want to do in me and don't spare for my whining. <laughs> And she told me to pray that. So I prayed that. It was really hard. And there are many times I, I was like, oh, God. I, and honestly, I didn't know anybody who had it as hard as me in terms of, of, of hardship. Like, as a prophetic voice, unrefined. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons why I got opposition from the church. But he was refining me. This was not the church's fault. I mean, the church has its own set of problems. But he was refining me. And, uh, and, I mean, it was amazing how, how much I was hated. I mean, it's, it's stunning. Some of the stories I could tell you are absolutely out of this world crazy. Just, I'll tell you one. little one, a little one. All right? So I, I'm, I'm teaching at a Bible school. And, uh, and um, anyway, always complaints about me. I mean, you know, I mean, I had one complaint because of letting the Holy Spirit flow too much in my classes. This is not a time for Holy Spirit. This is a time for teaching. You know, and anyway, so you know all these lists of heinous crimes against me from from some of the other staff and you know administrators particularly and uh, and I remember you know the, we got this new pastor he 's an interim something happened the The leader of the church and the Bible school had moved on and and they get pulled me into the office a couple of elders there and and they're they 're looking at the charges, and the pastor says says uh, well, clearly, there's no substance to any of, any of these accusations. I thought, oh, "Hallelujah, vindication! Glory to God! Favor, finally!" But where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm keeping my eye on you, son. I, you know, this is, and that was my life <laughs> for many years. Wow, what, what is that? That is being misunderstood, being, being uh, generalized and accused and stuff. And, you know, some of those, again, I needed that weight and that pressure because God was refining something in me. The wilderness changes you, and you need the wilderness. But it's not fun. Uh, but it does work something to purify your faith because, let's face it, What's born of God overcomes the world. What's born of flesh can only endure a little while. So God puts you in this trial that will exceed the life uh, the life um, cycle of your flesh, so that your flesh dies, but the things that are born of your spirit will keep on, and that's how God d- divides the one from the other through longevity that's why Why, why is this taking so long? Well because Some of your flesh is obstinate, you know. But the life of God endures even longer. So no matter how pig-headed you are, Mark, the life of God is going to out-endure your pig-headedness. So just stay under the heat, and the one will melt before the other. (laughs) So praise God for the heat. Praise God for the wilderness, Praise God for his intentionality to give us the kingdom and respond when we say, don't spare for my whining. Amen? This is fun. You guys are pulling all kinds of great things out of me. Thank you. uh, So, we got a little off track. So, So, just touching again on this idea of the largeness of your capacity, largeness of your whole heart. Now, I don't entirely understand the correlation between fatness of soul, leanness of soul, and and, and heart, but I know it has to do with size. And, uh, you know, the heart tends to lean towards human strength and godly resource. And, we, of course, we want our whole heart leaning into godly resource. And the greatest ministries, the greatest uh, impactful people on the face of the earth have large hearts and have a capacity to fully lean into God. But this idea of the largeness of your your heart, or the largeness of your capacity, was really well illustrated in the movie called The Soloist. Anybody seen it? Remember that movie? Um, it really wasn't a massive blockbuster, I don't think, but it's a 2009 drama starring Jamie Foxx and Robert Downey Jr. Jr. and uh, Jamie Foxx was uh, playing the part of a guy named Nathaniel Aries, a musician who had developed schizophrenia and became homeless. And so he ran around, you know, uh, uh, L.A., and he had, he had a cello. And uh, anyway, Robert Downey Jr.'s character sees him and wants to help him and finds out he's this amazing, world-class cellist, but he has schizophrenia. He's living on the street. But there's one moment... And downey has got a, an ex-wife, and he's trying to talk to his ex-wife about how he's wanting to help this guy. And he's talking to his ex-wife about this guy. And he said, he said, he said, he said you don't understand. This guy, he, he, he plays the cello, and he loves the cello. He's so good, but but he loves the cello more than I've loved anything. And she says, you don't have to tell me that. <laughs> but, but what, he's, what he's, he's saying, like, there's a capacity... Of hearted of heart within this guy that is off the charts. I've n- I have have not even I've never loved anything so fully as this guy loves this one thing. And I thought I thought that's that's that capacity that we want. You know what if we what, what if we could have that capacity. You know, to, to love. Have you, ever, have you ever seen, you know, people who are temperate souls? Like, they don't really give themselves fully to anything. You don't want to be that kind of person. I, I came from a long line of uh, difficult people. Uh, but but uh, capacity of heart is what makes people difficult. And so it's about aligning the focus of their hearts. But we have the story that my mom used to tell me all the time. I was taking skating as a kid, and um, there was an arena and there was these races, and we had to hold a spoon of an egg in our spoon, and we had to go to the end and come back. And I was one of the the smallest ones. Well, anyway, we we did this race, and and I I kept going. You know, every ten feet I'm dropping, and I gotta go back to the beginning, and and I have no clue, but everybody's done. Everybody's finished, and all I see is the spoon and the egg, and I, I just keep going, <laughs> you know, and, I'm, and I, you know, I keep dropping it, going back, and you know, and then they say, you know, don't have to go back because it's just taking forever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even see the crowd. My mom said before long the crowd was standing on all their feet and applauding you, and why? Because they love the focus. There's something in us that's when they see we see somebody that's full-hearted. It's something satisfying about that. Somebody who pours themselves into what they're doing. There's something beautiful about it, isn't there? What if what if God could enlarge the capacity of our heart and give us the passion to pour ourselves fully into pursuing Him, His kingdom, and nothing else? That's that's the defining thing of what makes the heart of God glad. He's looking to and fro over the face of the earth for people like that. And here's the thing. Even if you don't start as being that kind of person, that if you hit the right buttons in the heart of God, if you demonstrate the right desire, if you are faithful in what you have, God will enlarge your capacity. And even if you didn't start with the heritage of a Timothy, that you can actually... You know, ascend through things of the kingdom of God. So, um, anyway, there's hope for all of us. What else do I really want to say about that? Um, so, so we're wanting to get to the place where we're leaning with our hearts into God, with uh, with all our abilities. Well, let me talk for a couple minutes. How are we doing for time? Eleven Good. We're good. The boundless capacity of the Spirit. So this morning, while we were in prayer, by we, I mean me and Jerry. Me and Jerry, we're praying together. And um, I don't—I can't explain all of this, and I, I don't have really a language for it, but something's happened in the last year of my life where, where I have found myself able to access a place in the Spirit I haven't been able to before, and each time I touch it, um, uh, I I don't know how to explain it other than I am I am uh, just overwhelmed with the abilities of the Holy Spirit. Like literally, fully, so fully overwhelmed, and and what stands in contrast. Is my, my a capacity of my faith in previous le- years. And I was always a person that people say, oh, you, Mark's got great faith. But it's like I've tapped into something and it's on, an, on a next level for me. But let me try and illustrate this for you. In this room, we have a principle at work invisibly in this room called gravity. Okay? Gravity is performing a function. Uh, and that function can be isolated to many, many, you know, uh, actions. So gravity is holding every inch of that cable in place. If there was not gravity, the, that cable coming off that, that thing would be moving. By that same token, this could be floating in the air. And these chairs, all individually, could be, you know, finding their own orbit in the room. And, you know, you, know, you just sort of barely moving your arm will send some waves. And all of a sudden... A few chairs will be crashing on the walls there and those flags will be coming out of their moorings right you know can you imagine the disorder that would be in the room if there was no gravity yeah crazy crazy disorder i mean nothing would stay in its place well that's kind of like the church right you know the the church with no gravity gravity is chaotic absolutely chaotic every it's like herding cats you know, but it's, it's, it's if you de- decide as a pastor, it's going to be your job to be gravity, you got your work cut out for you, right? Because just with the numbers of things that are in this room, you know, you could, you'll spend all your day putting things in their place. You no sooner move three feet over to grab a chair that's beginning to float off into, you know, somewhere where that thing you put in place is already leaving its place. Does that make sense? Can you imagine that being the work of ministry, holding everything in its place? Would that be a little exhausting, a little impossible? That's what most pastors end up doing, is where things are spinning out of order, and it's all we can do to keep hardly anything. And so we're having to minimize everything that we have because we can't keep anything in place. And so so but but why are we doing that? Because we don't know that there's an ability within the Holy Spirit that's called that's equivalent to gravity. That, that an ability within the Holy Spirit that keeps things in their place without you having to go every 3 seconds and make sure it's in its place. What if faith in the abilities of the Holy Spirit brought the equivalence of gravity to churches? You think of the problems, you think of the strife, you think of the the way things spin out of order, chaotic. You think of the way uh, resentment and bitterness and hurts, that they they happen and they foment and become division. You know, these are caused by certain uh, absences of the Holy Spirit atmosphere. It's kind of like this. It's like, have you noticed that there are some geographic regions, meteorological conditions that cause... Uh, moss to to grow you know mold will will, will be more prevalent in in uh, non dry areas you know you go to alberta we don 't have a big mold problem in Alberta right You go to Vancouver <laughs> a little over because of the amount of rain that 's there. The meteorological conditions create the propensities towards a certain kind of thing grow. What if the atmospheric conditions provided by the Holy Spirit could be optimum for the Word of God to flourish and we're somehow um, geared, the atmosphere is geared to suppress things we didn't want to grow. What if weeds and wheat, for example, things you want to grow and things you don't want to grow were, were advanced or retracted or pulled back by a condition of atmosphere? See, life and death are atmospheres that are released in different increments. And churches are meant to be atmospheres of life that by themselves discourage the growth of anything else. Let me just take a couple more seconds with it. Does that make sense? So so uh, I, I, years ago, I'll try and keep this short. Years ago when I was first... Uh, saved and getting all kinds of healing, I had all kinds of roots, you know rebellion, witchcraft, uh, rejection. I mean I had needed inner healing you know from prenatal prenatal prenatal. You know, no, I, I got a, which is really the renewing of the mind, right? So a lot of things, a lot of memories, a lot of ways of thinking that have been programmed into me because of the iniquity of my family line, the things I'd actively been exposed to. and So that my journey of renewal included a lot of pain, a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, a lot of things. And so we were into all this. And so I happened to be uh, the t- one of the teachers at our school, Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, his name's Carol Thompson. And he had this book called The Bruises of Satan. And he talked about bruises of Satan being places where you're sensitive to a certain kind of demonic activity. And uh, he related it to roots that get planted by the enemy in your life and begin to produce a harvest of something along those lines. And so the whole idea was that we want to extinguish these roots. We want to get to the root of the matter. So we want to get the core. We don't want to just cut off you know, ground level. You do that in your yard, just cut the weeds off at ground level you know you haven't really solved the problem, right? But but even, even if you get all the weeds, like I, I cleared all the weeds last year out of my yard, but you know what? They're back again this year because the conditions of the soil lend themselves to the production of this particular commodity. And what the Lord one day said to me, he said, Mark, where were there weeds and thorns and thistles before the fall in the Garden of Eden? I said, no. He said, what if there was a condition of life, a manifestation of an atmosphere so high that nothing resembling death could grab a hold of anything? I mean, what... And he was challenging my paradigm. What do you think the fullness of the kingdom of God in your midst could look like you've heard about transformation right we talk about well you know even the physical plans but what what if there were what what if there are atmospheres of the holy spirit what if we could release the capacities of the holy spirit like gravity but what if the layers of what the holy spirit could do was was infinite in its glory and it was all All the release of those abilities was entirely determined by our expectation. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Your expectation, what you believe is possible, is the beginning point for what begins to be released. And the reason why we lean on the arm of flesh is not because we don't love God, but we just can't bring ourselves into believing in the capacity that is already in him, right? We can't, it says we can't even begin to imagine the things that he could do in Ephesians, right? We can't, we can't even imagine. So what's limiting the manifestation of those things? The fact that, A, you can't even imagine. Never mind, we can't bring ourselves to actually believe in the things that he clearly said, all, what, what are we leaving, and this is what I keep coming back to in my own life. God, I don't want to leave anything on the table. What am I leaving on the table? I mean, as a, what's, what's his name? Anybody ever watched Seinfeld? You know, Kramer, what's, the, what's his first name? Huh? Cosmo, yeah, Cosmo Kramer. Yeah, he only went by Kramer mostly. So Kramer had this great kingdom um, line that he shared. He <laughs> said, can you believe that, Kramer? He says, he said, he said, Jerry, wouldn't it just be hell if one day we stood before God and he showed us what we could have done with our lives? Yeah, Kramer says that. I say, you're, you're getting close there, buddy. Right? What is the judgment seat where God is going to wipe every tear from our eyes except the realization that our expectations were never high enough, that we left things on the table that were for the taking. You know, not, not you know, out of out of order stuff, but they were there for the taking. Wow. I don't want to leave anything on the table. Not because I think I'm so good, but because God has promised so many things. So, Father, even today, Lord... What kind of atmosphere could be possible for a city like Stratford? What kind of atmosphere, Lord, could emanate from our homes? Lord, if the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, based on lesser promises, meant that there was an unvanquishable, uh, indivisible army that went up against the land, um, and, and could not be conquered, if there was a fire, a glowing manifestation of glory, and a cloud that went before them, what can we have in our city? Lord, as I, as I hear about uh, old evangelists and how they would come drive by, Finney would drive by on a train, and people would begin to repent in the town just as he went by on the train. Lord God, what kind of presence would you bring from a body of people who are fully engaged with all their heart, leaning into all the capacity of the Holy Spirit? We don't even know. We haven't really allowed ourselves to think. So God, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So, you know, part of what I want to do is provoke faith and and, and then give you, you know, kind of structure of how the kingdom of God works. But the two go hand in hand. So that was a provocation of faith part. Is that, is that all right? I'm, uh, I, uh, I, I, really, I really believe that there's much more for us. And it's not uh, pride to expect that God would like to do it in your life. Hallelujah. So we've got 45 minutes here. And in the next 45 minutes, I want to talk about something. One of the most important things, I'm going to skip ahead in my notes. Let me see where this is. It's somewhere in my notes. I'm going to skip, skip ahead uh, to my section two. I want to talk about the role and benefit of tongues. Um, because uh, I'm going to start on this in this session right now with my testimony about this and try and share some, spill off some implications of that testimony. Because they're very important. But... Um, uh, as believers, we are called to connect with the spirit realm. When Adam and Eve walked with God, every night God came, and they never saw God after that. I, I, I believe that the abilities that they lost when the fall came were actually quite tangible. That, that the dividing between the spirit and the natural as we know it today... They were not subject to that, and that's why they could see God. That's why they could engage with God. That, that the, 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 different, the, the difference between the two realms was not separate like it is today. So when, when they died spiritually, they lost the capacity to interact with an entire realm that before was just there. All right. So when you get born again, that part of you that is, has the capacity to engage with that realm comes alive. It comes alive. It's born. You've been born again. But how many of you know that a that a, a baby, you know, who is born into this world doesn't come into the world with all of their faculties and their abilities fully evolved, right? That throughout their development, that there's an evolution, a growth, uh, an increase, a coming into mature expression of whatever of both their size and their abilities, cognitively, emotionally. A uh, physically physical strength and all that it develops. So in the same way, when you were born again, right, something came alive in you. So that what came alive is the ability to interact with a realm and and the ruler of that realm, which is God. Isn't that cool? All right. So so what you have then is you have now a journey into maturity, which can express you know. Um, by, by the language of growing up physically, but I love the way Peter talks about it. He says, having been born again by the eternal seed of God, which lives and or endures forever, right? So he says that you were born again by a seed, a seed. So that means when that seed was planted in you and um, in, into the terrain of the earth, it's a great analogy, right? Because we were made from the dust of the earth. So God takes the seed. What's in the seed? The DNA of the Son of God. The Word of God. The DNA of Jesus is in the seed. Now what do you think is in that DNA? Think about it for a second. How many things are in there? Everything, right? Everything about Jesus is in that seed. All right, when it it talks in Ephesians 4 about the fivefold ministry being given until we come to the fullness of the stature of Christ to a complete man, what is that? Wow. I mean, now does that mean I individually as a person can represent all of the fullness of God in the earth just as me? No. See, the the, the fullness of who Jesus is, we're coming at that uh, collectively. We, as a body of people, will exemplify and emanate and release the fullness of who Jesus is and everything that he is. But the seed of the DNA of that is still a microcosm of that fullness. So the nature of God is planted into you. You know, this idea of like, oh, i got to be more patient, got to be more patient. Then when I'm not patient, I feel guilty about not being patient. You know, that's, that's stupid, okay? That's not how it's supposed to work. All right, what we're doing is we're discouraging the growth of some things and encouraging the growth of others, and the absence of a of a full full blossoming tomato plant. In you know, do you go out there the day after you planted your tomato plants like stupid tomatoes? What's wrong with you, right? You know, there's a process here, like. It's going to take a little while. They've got to come up. You know, usually during the winter in your basement under halogen lights or something, you know, you're coming up and you get this little thing, then you plant it out there, and it's eventually, you don't come every day cursing that thing because it doesn't have full grown tomatoes on it. Why do we do that when we lack the character of Christ? Why do we always go to a system of affirmation or condemnation? Right? Why is that? the recourse of our conscience because that conscience is how it works with a with fallen world. Within a fallen world where good and evil are only, uh, are only entered into by human strength, then there is cause for condemnation. If good only comes through human strength and you're not exhibiting good, then you deserve condemnation. But that's not the world we're living in. We're living in a whole other reality. Where a seed has been put into us, and it's going to generate of its own power, the character, the image of God in us. That's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's why. Because we leave the world of condemnation and reward over behavior. Does that make sense to you? You know, but how many of us are actually still living in this world with our conscience... But we're trying to facilitate this world. But really, in effect, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sense of success is actually wrapped around the presence or absence of fruit that we already know is going to take years. Mercy. Grace. Be released. Be blessed. Give yourself time. So... Um, yeah, anyway, that's that's a whole thing. We could talk about that. Where was I going with that? So, so something has been awakened in you to be able to interact with the invisible realm. And why we're here today is to accentuate our capacity to seamlessly, easily interact with that invisible realm. And so... What things has God given us to do that? Obviously, His Holy Spirit. But the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues is the single greatest gift that you have for personal growth and edification. Praying in tongues. (laughs) As I, I break this down, let me tell you, praying in tongues is the very easiest and best way for you to connect with the supernatural in your life as a young believer. It will create other avenues and other things, but from the place of somebody who's born again, freshly born again, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I prayed for hours and hours and hours and hours. I didn't know anybody who prayed in tongues more than me. I don't know where I got that desire. I don't know why I just knew I needed to do it. But I was kind of like Paul. You know what Paul said? I pray in tongue more than you all. You know, it sounds like a little bit of a boast, right? But who wrote most of the New Testament? Right? Who had an exceptional grasp on the kingdom? Who had an exceptional grasp on the mystery of God? Who was caught up to the third heaven and shown things that were unlawful to even speak about? You know, who broke down for us? Most of the theology that we have today, it was Paul. Because Paul realized and discovered maybe it was an aspect of his grace that made him see it initially. But he realized that he was touching something when he prayed in tongues that he couldn't touch at any other time. So let me uh, let me share with you some of my, my testimony. Now, can't remember what I said about getting saved, but I grew up in Catholic world. I was, uh, I mean, we weren't particularly devout, but, you know, we had a a, a vague belief. But I had all kinds of issues in my life. I'd been sexually molested at five years old. Uh, I grew up in a violent family, lots of rage, lots of uh, dysfunction, alcoholism, witchcraft, you know, breaking up, waking up to the sound of breaking glass and screaming and cursing and uh, threats of murder and all that was, was, uh, you know, pretty regular for me. And so when my mom got saved at 13, things began to change in our house. So we prayed the prayer, and then we ended up leaving the Catholic Church and meeting in somebody's basement down the down the, down the road. And uh, one day, my mom said to me, okay, all you boys, the three of us, said, so you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit today. Oh, okay, what's that? And uh, so my mom went through the scriptures, you know, and said, said okay, here's these scriptures. Uh, there's, you know, and they, she was just showing that that people asked for the Holy Spirit, that you could ask for the Holy Spirit, and that, that God would give you the Holy Spirit if you asked. And so and God was not a God that he should lie, and he, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he won't give you a scorpion or a stone. And then she showed me in the scriptures where different ones prayed in tongues. So she said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna lay hands on you, and you're going to pray in tongues, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I thought, oh, this is sound, sounds good. You know, I, uh, uh, that'll be cool. I think I was, I can't remember whether I was 14 or 15. So anyway, so we're there, and, and she says to us, okay, we're going to pray for you, and after we're done, you need to speak. Like, like the, it says that they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave utterance, but they have to do the speaking. So I, yeah, I have no idea what that means, but okay, go ahead, pray. And so she prays, and they pray, her and her friends pray. and Then they, uh, they say, okay, say these words. So I say those words, and then they say, all right, speak in tongues. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> right? Because I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do this. I believe. I actually really believe. But if I'm going to do something I've never done before, it's unlikely I want to do that in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, I, was, I, I wasn't that dignified, but I was already 14 and insecure. So, you know, there's un- it's unlikely I'm going to experiment with this in front of you. So, so they said, that's okay. Just go back to your room. Go read your Bible. Just go pray and ask God. And then, and then speak. You know, do it in your privacy. So I thought, oh, this will be cool. I'm going to go do that. So I go to my room, and um, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pray in tongues. because. And, and the picture that I had, and I can't remember if this was conveyed to me, but is there a cartoon or something where you jump through a mirror or something like that? Was there a cartoon? Or Alice in Wonderland? Through the Looking Glass. Okay, that's what it was. Through the Looking Glass... You, you come into another world. But what do you see when you, before you jump into the looking glass? Yourself, exactly, right? So you look like you're going to smack up against this thing. But faith, so this is what I felt like. Okay, I'm, I'm supposed to jump through the looking glass, but all I'm seeing is that I'm going to hit up something. I can't go any further than this. There's nothing really on the other side. So faith says, no, there's a whole world on the other side. Can you take the leap? So I'm sitting there thinking, all right, we can do this. I'm going to pray in tongues. All right. And I'm I'm thinking, man, I don't understand why I'm so nervous. I'm sitting here, I'm nervous, I'm I'm intimidated, and I'm embarrassed. There's nobody in the room. Nobody in the room, and I'm embarrassed. And I hear a voice, that's intellectual pride. Yeah, that's intellectual pride. So, you know, I, I just said, Well, I don't want that. So I'm gonna do this. Alright. One, two, three, and I'm sort of gearing up like I'm jumping off, you know, bungee jumping off a cliff, right? All right, one, two. And I couldn't do it. And I thought I thought, What I, I can't do it. So I I go back and I read the scripture and I'm thinking, Come on, you can do this. Like I just one, two, three, and do it. So alright, okay. This time I'm doing it. I don't know how many times I did it, but I, I counted the three several times. Finally, finally, I thought I, the resolve was there. I'm going to do it. Here's the thing I did it, and it didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard before. It didn't seem legitimate. I didn't feel anything. It seemed like nothing. And it didn't even sound like a language. It sounded more like me whispering. Shush, shush, shush. They told me something like, just do it anyway. And the enemy's gonna tell you it's not real. So I just I just started doing it. I do it for about twenty minutes every day. Didn't sound like anything. One day, two days, three days go by, about three or four days in. I started noticing at the about twenty minute mark, I started to feel all you know, like momentum, like a um, what do you call that no, no, a turbine gearing up you know I just felt this momentum, so so what happened was at the end of at twenty minutes it 's like I wanted to keep going, and i thought i just that, that, I like this this you know this momentum, and over the next couple of days, it started to take on form. It was kind of like watching your kids over a period of months learn to talk as they they said things in improper, incomplete. They didn't have the phonetic capacity to fully articulate consonants. And so you know, they, they make these other versions of words, like donuts are duts, and bicycle is a cycle, and Seattle is adult, and, you know, things like that. And so it was like, it was kind of like that, where, where I, 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 oh, something is beginning to take shape. Something is beginning to form. And, and the sense that this momentum is there is just there in my life, and it's, and it's growing Well, that was my initial experience. I felt nothing. I had no goosebumps, no electricity, nothing. Now you think, well, maybe you're not even baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's not real. Let me tell you a couple of stories about that. So back in the early 80s, I was ministering in a church in Calgary, and uh, I'd started, I'll share some of the story later, started moving prophetic gifts, prophesying over people, words of knowledge and things like that. And um, I was in downtown Calgary, it was evening service, Sunday night. Um, I spoke in the morning, that was the evening, there was maybe 100 people in this church. And I did an altar call and about eight people came forward. I began prophesying over the one, different ones. And I came up to this lady and she was a native lady and she looked, you know, old and typical Inner city native person, so I um, honestly I probably had a little bit of baggage thinking you well, know what, what what is what is God going to do for her you know she probably probably an alcoholic I don't know you know made all these judgments not knowing her and um, and so I thought I thought uh, man I feel this pains in my stomach. Lord, I, I and I feel like it's witchcraft. So I I prayed against witchcraft. She she told me after she said that she had searing, like daggers in her stomach the whole evening, and as soon as I prayed, it just it left her, and then I I felt just to speak in tongues over her. So I began to speak in tongues. And as soon as I began to speak in tongues, I thought, oh, that's a new one. I had never heard that language before, and uh, and it was like a couple minutes praying in tongues, and I just felt like. You know, just the, birth, the, the resolution of it finished. I opened my eyes, and she's like, she said, do you know what you just did? I said, no, but it felt pretty cool. What, what happened? And she said, well, I'm Blackfoot. And the father just spoke to me in Blackfoot and, and told me about my life and the hardships of my life. And I, I minister in reserves all over northern Alberta, and he talked about my ministry, but he said that he was going to take me this next year into a season of rest and not to worry about the finances that everything would be taken care of and that he would watch over me and take care of me and make provision for this. And he said, she said, now, there's two words for finances in Blackfoot. One is an everyday word that's simple, and the other one is incredibly complex. It's hardly ever used. I've only heard it maybe two times my whole life and the one you used was the complex word and your articulation was absolutely perfect and uh, she called me a year later and she said brother mark she said uh, you won't believe what happened you know somebody called me the next the month afterwards said listen could you could you watch our house for a year we'll pay you to watch our house the freezer's full And and they went away for a year, and I I lived in that house free of charge. They paid me, and they gave me, fed me for a year. I mean, it it was, so I was confronted on so many levels. A, my judgments against her. I thought, this is the most supernatural thing I've ever seen in my life, and it happened to one of the least significant people in my eyes. And so I thought, Lord, I think there's a priority in the kingdom I don't know about. Can you change my sense (laughs) Of what's most important to you? I mean, if you would do this, I mean, incredible thing for somebody that nobody thinks is significant in the machinery and in the industry of Christian ministry, what else could you do? What else do you want to do? You know, if if this is the way your heart moves, that you would do this for this person that nobody really cares about. She's not a big ministry. Nobody given her ministry. You know, nobody calling her in to preach at conferences and, and whatnot. And yet God, my father, speaks to her in her native tongue through a white boy, right? Just, just like, is that, is that not amazing? Yeah. So I'm reasonably convinced I have the baptism authentically. <laughs> Why, why do I say that? This is really important because we're going to move into in, in, in later when we start talking about this. There's a scripture, and I'll probably throw it out. I hope I come back to it. It says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Let me say that again. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And God began with me that way for a particular reason. He did not want me bound to forces that were ethereal or beyond my control. He wanted me to know right from the beginning that stepping in to the mechanisms of the kingdom of God were something you could just do. That it wasn't preempted by an experience, a feeling, uh, a manifestation. And I've had lots of manifestations, but he began to tell me, listen, access to the kingdom of God is by decision from you. That you can access at will. And so he began training me at that point in my life as a young believer. I mean I was fourteen when I started praying in tongues. And I knew nothing of any of the things I talk about today, but he knew that it was important to establish this this benchmark in my life. That's not about emotion, it's not about an experience, it's not about something from without that comes on you. The kingdom of God mark is within you. It's already there. And so, and so he, he established that in me right from the beginning. And so I stepped into that in, with absolute, I, 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 I say, absolute uh, naked faith. I mean, there was absolutely nothing to my experience to legitimize what I was doing. And I spent every day praying in tongues, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And, you know, the, the confidence that this was God was only by an internal witness that grew over months and years to the point where many years later I was in this moment and I knew what the unction felt like. I knew that unction felt like that I should pray in tongues, that I had nothing because of learning what the turbine rotating in my spirit felt like. You know, the kingdom of God, how do we actually... The kingdom of God is like this. What is? How do you know when you're led by the spirit? Well, it's like a turbine in your spirit. You know, momentum. Current. Flow. What's that? Well language makes sense when you have felt that momentum of the Spirit, the unction, bleeding, the leading, the burden. Well, a few years later, I was doing a, a thing. Now, this is, this is purely to create faith in you, um, that there are more things in you. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit... Now, by the way, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you've been uh, praying or believing and you have never prayed in tongues, today is your day. All right? If you pray in tongues, but you feel stilted, if you find it hard to to sort of break out into the open, I'm going to be sharing some more testimonies and some more of my experiences about this, that today is your day. We're going to break some of that off of you. And the confidence and the faith to be released is part of the impartation that's coming on you today so that you can enter a fluidity of this, and possibly diverse tongues, which, uh, which uh, I think are, are pretty much natural, but, um, and then it leads to the potential of all kinds of other things after that. But another time, I was asked by a group in Edmonton, some Baptist friends of mine who had come into the Holy Spirit, and they said, you know, would you come and address, we've got a group at the Baptist Church that are, you know, praying in tongues and getting into healing and, and prophecy. Would you come do some teaching? This was about, I don't know, fifteen years ago. And so I said, "Yeah, that'd be great." So I go over there, and, and I'm talking about prayer at the beginning. And I said, "Listen, I have no personally. I, I don't mind. You know, some people feel burdened. You know, to pray lists. I don't pray lists. In fact, I don't even pray about anything that I that I even care about hardly. I pray in tongues." Until I feel myself moving into a realm where a different kind of knowledge begins to hit me. And and that's the way I pray all the time. I find, I, I, I just suspect the validity of anything else. I suspect the power of it. I suspect the motivation of it. I suspect everything about it. Uh, so, that, you know, I'm not putting on, on anybody. But I just, when you find prayers that work, you... you you know, these prayers, these prayers, like, yeah, I want those ones. I want more powerful prayers. I want more effective prayers, right? I am the Tim Toolman Taylor of the prayer world. <laughs> A bigger engine, please. <laughs> you know, we could soup that up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ooh, ooh. So, so anyway, <laughs> we're we're in there, and I'm explaining, I said, and so, yeah, I never, I never decide what I want to pray, even if there are things in my life to pray about, because I want the mind of God around it. Uh, I can assume certain things about what should happen and when that should happen, but I've decided and realized through experience that I'm often wrong. And so, I, I, everything I do is geared towards leaving my, my own thinking and going into his. And so, so I, I give an example. I said, so, this is what I do. And I, I began praying in tongues and uh, and then I, I, I worshipped, I prayed in English, and I prayed in tongues, and I prayed in English. And so I said, well, that's what I do. At the end of the class that day, there's this Chinese girl. And she says, uh, my name's so-and-so. I'm a university student at the University of Alberta. She said, other than English, I speak five languages. She said, when you were giving us the example of how you enter the presence of the Lord, she said, uh, I understood everything you said. You spoke. In all the five languages that I speak, she said. Not only that, you you moved from language to language mid sentence without losing the meaning of what you were saying. And then, when you prayed in English, you said what you had said in tongues. (laughs) Isn't that phenomenal? Yeah, I'll say. I was like, like, man, I get that. I need to record that. I'd like to have recorded the whole thing, but but I thought, okay, so what I have is legitimate. Not only that, but the bridge between being led by the Spirit and the beginning, the the novice beginnings of just praying in tongues out of obedience and out of faith that the foundation of everything I do prophetically in words of knowledge and of praying for people and of prophesying and of hearing God regarding strategies and revelation and the scriptures and all that, all of that came out of this, that the ability to know what was God and what was not God began to be defined by the experience that when I prayed in tongues, there was a momentum there that I knew Was different than anything else I could produce myself. It wasn't pizza, it wasn't indigestion, it wasn't adrenaline, it wasn't coffee. You know, I mean, there are no other forces that are confused. This is how, because how else? I tell you, okay, be led of the Spirit. What does that look like, right? It's a legitimate question. Be led of the Spirit. What does that mean? What? Be nicer? You know, pray prayers with, in the name of Jesus at the end? See, this is what we do, is we, we, we listen to others, and then we copy them, and we do that thing. But the essence of what makes it spirit-based is that the impetus for it all is rooted in spirit, not the fact that it has all the conduit. You know, when, if you pray an anointed prayer, how can you pray an anointed prayer? Is that volume? Is it, is it, is it emotion? Is it intensity? Is it passion? What defines an anointed prayer versus a dull prayer? I mean, we, had, uh, we have these meetings uh, all around the globe with these events called gatherings. I walk with David Demian quite a bit. And I remember we were in Asia a couple of years ago. And we were meeting before this large event. There were people were out there. And we had about 60 pastors, leaders in this room. And this guy starts talking. I mean, God bless his heart. But it was the most pointless thing you ever heard. And, and he's, you know, here we are. We're discerning. There's a big national event going on. We're trying to find stat- strategies. And this guy's going on about, you know, how he didn't like his mother-in-law 20 years ago. or You know, who knows? And he talked for about 15 minutes. You know, we got a discerning time that's an hour. So it's, and we're sitting there, and and David's like, he's like, okay, what, how do, I, what do you do? I mean, he's an older guy. He's a senior spiritual father at least in terms of longevity in the city, in the nation. But David, so David says this. He says, listen, be aware of the room. He said, when you start saying something or praying and the room is going like this, please stop. Like start, you know, anointed... Powerful faith-based prayer create kinetic spiritual activity in the room. Be aware of the room, you know, because obviously whatever was motivating him, I don't know what it is with pastors and leaders sometimes that we just feel like we have the right to go on and on and on because we got the mic in our hand, (laughs) right? But, but, I mean, I, I just have no interest in doing that myself, and I'm, I, I want to be like Jesus every time he spoke. I mean, something about his words reached past everybody's defenses and touched their inner being. How do you do that? What's born of God overcomes the world. So when we're praying in tongues, you are doing something you can't do. You are actually pulling words and thoughts and intentions from a realm that is very distant from you, like you, when you got born again, what did he say? He said, "He said, um, let me let me go to that scripture. Actually, it should be here somewhere. He says, uh, "He says, if anyone thirst, John seven thirty eight. If anyone thirsts, let them come to dr- to me and drink." He who believes, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet glorified. Wow. So he's saying, listen, there is living water. The earth is surrounded in death. And God's plan for redemption is take the water that's flowing from Ezekiel, take the water that's flowing in Revelation 22 out from under the throne of God and that feeds the tree of life. That water is living water and it's in heaven and it's the byproduct of God Himself. God somehow oozes living water, it drips out of Him. Life, life, resurrection life drips out of God and it's in heaven. But Ezekiel said, I saw a river of living water coming out of the eastern gates. And it got deeper and wider as it went. And everything that it touched lived. And when it reached the seas and it touched the seas, its waters were healed. Everything it touched lives and as a paradigm, as, a, as an illustration, a template of the kingdom of God, we're not here to say nice things. We're not even here to say biblical things. We are here to transmit. We are the conduits for bringing living water from there to here. And what God gave you when you were born again, He made you one spirit with Him. And when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you began to speak in other tongues. Literal living water is flowing through your being. It is not something you can conjure up. It's not something you can imitate. It is literally a substance from heaven. When he says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, he's saying, listen, the life, that I'm, the, the, the life is, that I'm bringing is greater than death. It can't be snuffed out by death. Resurrection life is greater than death. I'm going to say, Where is death, where is your sting? Because I'm going to overcome death with life. Not noble thoughts, not well-rehearsed sermons, not, you know, quoting verbatim, even biblical scripture truths. It said there's, there's speech and there's word that's in speech, and there's speech that looks like speech, that there's word in it, but there's no word in it. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus said, the reason you can't understand my speech is you can't hear my word. And Christians get caught up in this trap that if I just repeat what that guy said, that I'm doing what he did. Nuh-uh. You're doing a form of what he did. And the form of godliness, the form of the kingdom, has no power. What we want is our churches to be from start to finish power. Well, how do we do that unless we know what we're accessing You know, what God did with me is he began to say, listen, Mark, all your emotions, all your passions, all your sensitivities, all of your excitement, all your excellent execution, all your memorization of Scripture, all of that can be a great conduit for life, or it can just be that. I'm training you to be a conduit for life. Sound like something you want? Right, this is what we should be about. So, so there's a pruning going on because what happens is you come into church, you learn to do things, and there's always a measure of life in what you're doing. But in, eventually, you come to a place where you know, you know, we got a decent church. Some things happen, but you start thinking, isn't there more? Like, shouldn't there be more? I mean, Jesus said there was more. How do I get more? You get more by realizing that there's more speech and less word than you want in what you're doing. More just nice melodic songs and less manifestation of life than what you want. And so what happens, you know what's happening over the long run? It's your heart. It's like, man, I I started realizing I was leaning into, you know, the excellent singing of great anointed songs is great, but, but it's lacking something. It's not... Cutting the mustard. It, there's some benefit in that, but I want more of God in our songs. I want more of God in my pray. I want more of God in my evangelism. You know, the thing about Jesus' evangelism is nobody just ignored him. Nobody just, you know, he had an impact. I remember the first time I went out to evangelize was in Dallas, Texas, as a student at Christ for the Nations. And we were praying for weeks reading the red, praying in tongues we went out in buses rode around the, the gay prostitute area you know, shouted, prophesied da, 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 da. and, and uh, for some reason they decided that I was going to preach never done it before in my life so I got out there with a the bullhorn I'm thinking man, it's going to be so powerful because I've been praying in tongues and reading the red they're going to be dropping like flies right on the street You're going to see piles of flesh and polo aftershave. (laughs) It was just the whole street reeked of polo. (laughs) Back in, was that 82? (laughs) Man, there's gay bars everywhere. Anyway, they blew us off. I could have been a fly on the wall. They ignored me. Never made a dent. Nobody even looked in my general direction. Never mind threw bottles at me. I didn't even make an impact for them to throw bottles. I was so disappointed. I thought, God, you know, I I said the same things Jesus said. You must be born again. I quoted veritable scripture. You must be born again. Why didn't it work? It's like, I didn't hear this but he's, he, it's like he said, no, you're asking the right questions. Welcome to the next 40 years of your life. It, it's, it's not the form. You, you know, in short order, you can do the things that look like what I did. But there's something deeper that I did that cuts through, that can't be resisted. I mean, that's what we want, Right? We want to be able to just walk by people and then, like, awaken to the fact that they're sinners. You know, get away from me. I mean, Peter said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Who told you you were a sinful man? You know, How did that happen? The Holy Spirit, imagine this. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. You know, we approach evangelism as a convincing of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts. He makes manifest. He makes self-evident these realities. And so there's an ability within the Holy Spirit to do so much more. But, but we have this misplaced. We don't even realize that our heart's leaning into the efficient, effective, excellent, professional delivery of Christian services. Did you hear that? The delivery of Christian services, even in the most excellent way, is not the key. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. So we got about six minutes here. So, um, is anybody here not prayed in tongues before that would like to and would be okay to say as much? So everybody here is prayed in tongues? Okay. Excellent. Anybody here prays in tongues but you know, it's, you feel stilted, you don't, maybe you feel like your vocabulary is very shallow, feel like maybe you're repeating things over and over. Okay, brother, I got the one, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. All right, so we're going to do a prayer line. Maybe we can put on a little bit of worship music. Do you have something like raise a hallelujah or so, something like that. Just put that on in the background. And let's, uh, let's take just a couple minutes. I want to pray and release an impartation to those that want this. And even if you feel like you're... I mean, part of the thing is, is, uh, is aperture and water pressure. Water pressure, you don't decide. It's like the city decides that. So the water pressure available to you is, beside, is decided by Kingdom of Heaven. But you can determine whether you have a half-inch hose or a three-quarter-inch hose, and that's, that's ultimately connected to, to faith and, and, and pruning of your soul, right? So uh, so these are the things we're going to just pray against blockages. You know, the Philistines would go and take rocks and fill in the wells. That's what, that's what the spirit of this age does. It's a Philistine spirit. It's wanting to block you up. And I have a few other testimonies about that that we'll share in the afternoon. Um, But let's start by, by, I'm going to lay this down, and you guys who want prayer, just come up and just come across here. We're going to start praying in tongues. And others, if you want to come around, stand behind them, and pray with them, and create an atmosphere. If you can pray in tongues as, as they come, just begin praying in tongues. Amen? All right, let's do this.